Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of Action Movie Anatomy on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. We are going to break down today one of the most anticipated films in the history of Action Movie Anatomy, the brilliant 2004 superhero film, or is it a superhero film at all, The Punisher. See you in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now... Here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! Yeah! Yeah! It gets me so excited every time. It just feels right. It's like, oh, it took us 70 episodes to figure this trick out. Play the instrumental for Still Dre. We need to figure out a way to to throw Big Willie style and Still Dre and collab that. (laughs) Fans, please make that for us. That's the one I forgot. It was on the Men in Black episode. Yes, very ha-ha, good. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Still fucking with you. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Oh, anyway, in this song, yeah, this say song that. he does. It's like Will Smith would never say yeah, that. Yeah, he would never drop the f bomb. No way. Remember my friend's dad being like, "I just like Will Smith. He's just a good. He's a good rapper. He's clean." He's, it wasn't Mark Quinn. He's clean. <laughs> he's clean. He's wholesome. He's a good influence for children. It shows you can make good rap without having to say bad words. Look, he gets jiggy with it. He gets. He does. <laughs> Him and Jada Pinkett did G. <laughs> Yeah! He's edgy. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie related. This is Action Movie Anatomy, and we today are covering Jonathan Hensley's directorial debut, The Punisher, 2004's superhero film. It's not my birthday, but it feels like it's my yeah. birthday. <laughs> you wanted to do this movie I've, for two years. I've wanted to do this movie <laughs> since day one. I love this movie so much. I watch this movie at least a few times a year. Yeah. Every single year. And, I mean, it was like a win-win-win situation in the poll this week. Yeah. Because it was uh, Ghost in the Darkness, <laughs> The Punisher, and... Uh, Art of War. And Art of War. But, uh, guess who made, guess who made the poll this week, guys? <laughs> yeah, guess who made the poll? True story, guys. There was about a month-long period where I would I would walk into a room in my house, I would find a VHS tape of The Punisher hiding like in the bathroom, or in my bed, <laughs> in a sock drawer. Just be placed, you know, just to think about it. In the kitchen... Uh, you know, knock on the door, and then under the door slides a DVD of The Punisher. My favorite was the toaster, when it would just yeah. pop up in the toaster every now and yeah. then. This never happened. That, but it's it, a great cartoon. <laughs> um, so uh, this is Action Movie Dad. We talk about action movies on the show. We break them down into all kinds of fun things, and uh, they adhere to four basic rules, aside from being made after 1981, which is loose rule. We like mention it every week. It's not really a rule. Like we could, we've broken every other rule, so I guess we yeah. could have just made it the fifth it's rule. It's just, just, I mean, there's obvious... We need one movie. Like, one movie. And I know there's tons of them, but like, we're both dying to do that came out before 81, and it's hard for us to find, because we're not... We're young. There's, there's like, there's like a couple that we, uh, that are like on the table. Yeah, people always talk about a few of them. Yeah, there's a couple. There's like the Dirty Harry movies that I think uh, they would make a lot of sense. You could yeah. easily do one of those. You could do the French Connection because it's like the classic and it won Best Picture. People want Charles Bronson movies on here a lot. Yeah, there's, there's like a few. It's just that they, they feel and look so different than the movies that we're used to covering. That yeah. But maybe we'll do one or something. Enter the Dragon. You know, like yeah. old school. Those are great, but they're just different. They're yeah. just a little different. So. Uh, Back to our rules. Yeah, so aside from 81 and on, uh, rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Yeah, I mean, 100%. He's the Frank Punisher. Castle plays by his own rules. Yeah, no question. Uh, God's going to sit this one out. Uh, two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room, so he is definitely the smartest guy in the room. Uh, Howard Saint feels kind of bumbling, actually. Yeah, I he mean... He gets played so hard. Honestly, I think the smartest guy in the room is Will Patton. Yeah. But he's not even really... He's... he's it, his decisions are inconsequential. 
it's all up to Howard Saint at the end of the day. I guess Howard Saint is the smartest guy in the room because he's the guy who's like, he killed my son, you know, well, let's find his family. Right. Like, so he sort of is because he's the his guy family. who's able. All of them. Yeah. She's such a bitch. She's evil. Yeah. Three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. He's ex-military. He is ex-police. And he's currently uh, a mercenary. Although he's not for hire. No. He's just angry. He's just a, yeah, he's just a revenge guy. Yeah. Uh, and the movie contains minimum one explosion is the final rule. Uh, there's definitely a bunch of explosions Absolutely. in this movie. Uh, yeah, this movie's like pretty much just a straight up... This is like a straight up '90s, early 2000s action movie. It's like disguised as a superhero movie, but it's just not at all. Yeah, and and that's why I think it fits on the show is that it doesn't feel like a superhero movie. He doesn't have any superpowers other than that of just being able to like get his ass kicked beyond that yeah. of mortal wounds and still be okay. And really carefully organize explosions in a car yard to form yeah. a skull. A skull, because he knew... you were looking above. Yeah, you'd have to be... <laughs> <laughs> right. Before the explosions and fires spread so that it looked convoluted and like a big, just like sloppy just f- mess. Yeah. So like, whatever plane that was flying overhead like, would hmm. take a picture and be like, it was a skull. It was a skull. I swear to God, I know it doesn't look like a skull anymore. why it was there. <laughs> On the ground, it would just look like a horror mess. Yeah. Not to mention, like, the cars are, like, flying all over the place. Sweet death, though. It's a good death. Yeah, really good death. Um, so, uh, we're gonna get into that in just a second here, guys, but we are gonna queue up the trailer to 2004's The Punisher before we do anything else. Uh, so let's watch the trailer. And we see the 22 of you guys in chat. Hello. Hello. Can't believe I'm home. The music's already not right. ever be so lucky. <laughs> Tom Hanks was a mild-mannered banker. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Kevin Spacey was at the end of his rope. All right, everybody, quiet down. This he only had one week left on the job. Had in five years. <laughs> the future. Until he met. Future. <laughs> Whoa, this is a different movie. <laughs> Tom Cruise is the last <laughs> samurai. <laughs> the future was something my family would never see. me. They were wrong. What? They were dead wrong. That man must die. Quit! Don't let your memories kill you. They can't kill me. I'm already dead. Thomas Jane, John Travolta. There you go. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. This is not revenge. It's punishment. Oh, that was the song I was going to open to. Yeah, I was going to do that. The Punisher. Uh, just a fucking god awful trailer. Really bad. It's really. What, what <laughs> did we ever do that voice? That was the one trailer voice that we never did because it was a joke. It was yeah. only in straight to DVD action <laughs> martial art movies. <laughs> yeah, you're dead right. You're dead right. <laughs> the music at the beginning of that trailer, like it seriously felt like you were watching the beginning of a trailer that was like American Beauty. Yeah, yeah, basically. Or, yeah, or Tom Hanks or yeah, <laughs> something. Yeah, with only <laughs> one <laughs> week <laughs> left <laughs> on the job, it will take courage. <laughs> Howard Crick. Uh, so that was the trailer for The Punisher. Um, it, it, 2004, like, it's 
this movie came out in just like well, so all right, we'll, we'll yeah, get let's to- move into thesis because I think this ties perfectly into mine. I have a very similar thesis, I'll bet you. But before we talk about our thesis, guys, if you want to follow along in the conversation, there's a live chat going right now. There is. Find it on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening or watching, you're in it, and if you're not, it's no longer live. So that's dumb. Thanks for being in it, though. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yes, thank you though. And uh, if you want to follow along with us and share your thoughts with us, you can find the podcast on Twitter at AMA Podcast. And if you want to tweet at us personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and you can do the same for me on Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Guy, not at Ben Bateman Media. Nope. Uh, so uh, Joel Hammond just said, "I still don't know if the on the nose jokes makes this movie amazing or not." And we're gonna get into all of this with all the legitimacy questions about this movie and and, and all that, but first let's get into our thesis because I'm very curious as to what yours is. I want to know because it, it must be very similar to mine. Well, we didn't talk about it this time. No, we, we did not. So uh, this is my thesis. This movie's greatest failure and greatest success are both that it's the only Marvel superhero film ever made that in no way resembles a superhero movie. Hmm. And it came out in a time when the absolute expectation was it would be a superhero movie. It came in the middle of... I mean, literally, the guy that wrote this movie wrote the movie before it was The Incredible Hulk, and the movie he wrote after it was Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie is dead center in the time, but it is in no way a superhero movie. Yeah, and, and mine is not the same, actually, at all, but it is similar with the time period, because I do completely agree with you. It's, it doesn't feel like a superhero movie at all, and that's why, since day one, I've argued that it could be on the show. Um... My thesis is that this film's greatest failure was when it was released. If it had come out six years earlier or later, I think 2010 yeah. or 98 or 96. Yeah, no, eight, whatever. Sure. Mid-90s. Um, it would have been a better movie. It would have been better received. But for some reason, with when it came out and all the movie, like the ones you just talked about specifically, Incredible Hulk and Fantastic Four... Most superhero movies hadn't really figured it out yet. Yeah. All of them actually hadn't figured it out yet, except for Iron Man. That comes out after this. Four exactly. years later. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. my point, is that no superhero movie had figured it out. Um, and, and this movie was just kind of uh, a victim of that. See, I, so I think I, I agree and I disagree. Okay. I agree because when it came out is definitely its biggest failure. Um, and it's it's less about the time period as it is about the movies that were surrounding it. So what you're talking about. Okay. Um, I think that were, there were superhero movies that had figured it out, sort of, but like they would be single movies. So take, for instance, if you look at all the movies that were being released within the five years of this before and after, because Marvel Studios in 08 is when Iron Man starts, and that's yeah. a whole different animal. But the first one, the test movie that everybody wanted to know if it worked, we talked about Blade a few weeks ago. Blade was like the soft, that was the soft test. People mm-hmm. liked Blade. X-Men was the actual real test, the first X-Men movie. Yeah. It was successful enough, it made enough money, people liked it, it was received well enough, they could continue making movies. At that time, X-Men 2 and Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, those were like the gold standard of what superhero movies were supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and those all came out within a few years there. They're all before Punisher. But that's why, okay, so, so continue. Those ones kind of did it right. I mean... I think we'll use air quotes on the idea of right because if you compare those movies and that era to what we have now, it's really just a different conversation. Like they were, they would get standalone successes, but they hadn't figured out how to weave things together. You had different studios owning different properties. There was no cohesiveness. It wasn't like now where you have multiple Netflix series competing with you know with similar characters that are weaving in and out of right. four and five franchise movies with the same actors. Like so, this movie comes out like we said, Incredible Hulk is a bomb. Mm-hmm. Ang Lee, no like. 
Ang Lee directs the Hulk. Yeah, it makes no sense. Makes no sense. The Fantastic Four movies are, are bad, all bad, right? And this is this is in the middle of it. So people see this and they think, okay, if you're if you're a fan of the Punisher from the comics, you expect this to be a cheesy like let's take the property and give you a whole bunch of spandex and costumes just right. like the other movies. It's not that at all. And they slashed the budget by fifty million dollars. So they made basically a low budget superhero, like a low budget action movie. That was titled a superhero movie in the era of bad superhero movies. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> Dark Knight, excuse me, Batman Begins comes out in two thousand six, five, five, I think. Okay, so my thesis was saying that this, if this movie came out in twenty ten or ninety six, somewhere in that you know ninety six or twenty ten, it would be better than where it is in two thousand and four. And my my reasoning behind that is, I'm going to agree with everything that you've just said about all the properties that had come out. The problem with Punisher is it was flirting with do I go nineties or do I go early two thousands? Right. Right. So what if it come out if it comes out later, I think that all those jokes, those self referential jokes, the things that Joel's talking about in chat, those get pushed aside and you get a better Punisher in two thousand and ten with Thomas Jane that is dark, that is gritty, that is in the Marvel universe, that takes itself seriously. I think that when it came out, it was too heavily influenced by everything right around it. Yep. And I think it just needed to happen later. Not even earlier. I think just later, or if it happened earlier, it just wasn't a superhero movie at all. Totally. I think if it's, I think if it's earlier, I think like if this movie comes out in 1998, unfortunately, I don't think it can star Thomas Jane, because Thomas Jane's like 26 at that point. Yeah. And he's like, he's Todd from Boogie Nights at that point. He has like no star. There's no... Todd? Yeah. Todd Parker? <laughs> Todd Parker. Um, <laughs> if it comes out later, I mean... So, sort of referencing back to my thesis for a second, like the fact it's the greatest failure and success because if you go forward and you think about what's the most successful superhero movie made with a suit like without any superpowers or universe, it's it's the Nolan Batman movie. Yeah, absolutely. And he's even sort of superheroish well, there. I guess Iron Man, but because he doesn't have superpowers either. Yeah, but he's isn't he fi- who's he fight in the first one? He oh he fights a guy another guy yeah. in a suit. So I, I guess those are the only two: is Iron Man and Super er, and and Batman. But I guess like Nick Fury shows up at the end. It's still sort of in the universe. So yeah. like you're st- you're you're led to believe that it's like right? Iron Man doesn't stand alone the same way that the Dark Knight yeah. series does. Those are like he's got high tech stuff and he jumps off a building and he can fly around and stuff. But but he still does kind of wear a cape. Yeah, and he still like so it's hard to say <clears throat> that those aren't superheroish. Like he wears a fucking skull on his chest. He doesn't. All of the things that this that the character of the Punisher, like in the original comics, for through the years that he had. So like Microchip was his like Microchip was a character from the comics for years and years who was this like nerdy guy with glasses who would who would be in the battle van, which was like his high tech van right, gear. Right. And would like do the intel on the on the mobs and have all these super high tech gadgets. Like Hensley stripped all that away. He was like, I don't want Micro, I don't want the battle van, I don't want Jigsaw, who's like the main villain. You didn't have like a giant a giant uh super super villain like the Kingpin. You had Howard Saint, who was yeah, just like a, a nobody. A money launderer crooked banker was the yeah. villain. Like there's nothing about this movie that feels like a superhero movie. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I want to read a couple of these thesis statements that we have in our chat. Um, Joel Hammett says, This is John Travolta's last movie where he was taken seriously, or at least casted as a serious actor. Everything after this movie he's in seems to be a cast, or seems to be casted as a joke. Hairspray. 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 <laughs> um, <clears throat> Jonas Tiger says, This movie would have been much better if it had the same feel as Blade. This was the last bad Marvel movie made before they got good. Do you agree with that? Last bad. I would have to look at the years to be very, very specific about it, but I have a feeling there was a couple others between this and Iron Man that were not great. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like I mean, I feel like Fantastic Four. Wait, yeah, two, that's one that you just mentioned was Fantastic Four. 
that comes out after, right? It's 05. And then I think Fantastic Four 2, Rise of the Silver Surfer, I think is like 07. Yeah. So there's there's some pretty bad ones. I mean, I think Elektra probably. Yeah, I mean, the Marvel Universe was a joke yeah. until it got revamped. Those we those three, those four we really talked about. <clears throat> X-Men 1 and 2, Spider-Man mm-hmm. 1 and 2. And then aside from that, I think they're almost all bad. Yeah, it was like, look at all this awesomeness. And then they did the 90s thing to all of them. And then they had to reset. Well, because Avi Arad, <clears throat> the producer we're going to talk about here in a little bit, his whole thing was like he was just... He was very much like influenced by like the toys and the cartoons yeah. and the comics. Like we talked about him a lot on was it Blade? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, thanks for uh, blah, blah, talking to us with the chat guys with your thesis statements and all that. And it's a very lively bunch today, so I'll keep referencing it as much as I can as we move along to fist pump moments. So, yes. guys, if you watch or listen, you know fist pump moment is that moment in the movie something happens and you're just like, this is so fucking sweet. I get to watch this whole movie. Oh, this is great. You look around, you want to be like, are you watching this right now? You want to call your buddy, you keep looking at your roommate, you're like, you, you're on your phone, you're watching the movie, you're watching the movie, you know. Yeah, it could be anything. Yeah, exactly. This. You're like, come on, man, put your phone in. Yeah. <laughs> could be anything. It could, you know, be a look from one character to another. It could be a line, could be an explosion, a headshot, the title credits, the music, whatever. It's just your thing that makes you feel like, fuck yeah. yeah. Um, I'll jump in first with mine. Okay. Because it, it's the scene after... Uh, ben Foster gets in- they get interrogated and all his piercings get oh, torn out. Yeah, and he's like, "You don't know me," you know. He says like, "Why you don't know me anything? Why didn't you give him up?" And Foster's like, "Because you're one of us. Because you're one of us. You're family." And I love that moment. I really loved that moment because it's like they did a great, great thing with this particular Punisher movie by mm-hmm. even even like Daredevil, the TV Daredevil that I really really like with Charlie Cox and and yeah. John Barenthal's Punisher. It's it's like a really well done thing, but it doesn't it doesn't like encompass like moments like that in the way that a movie can. Yeah, you need they they the the term they use is they tug at your heartstrings. Yeah, and it's in a different way because like Ben Foster, I think, is the most brilliant cast in this whole movie. You need that guy, and and Ben Foster's so good at going crazy, like he is when he's playing video games. Yeah, right. And he's also so good at being vulnerable, like he is in the chair. And when he says that that first line when her ex-boyfriend comes and he's all drunk, yeah, he's like, no one's ever stood up for me before. Yeah. And you kind of have these moments of like, yeah. that's a real person. Yep. That, like, we talk about this with our ridiculously legitimate all the time is that role, roles like that where it grounds you in reality. Yeah. I love that moment. I really do. Yeah, I really love that moment. <clears throat> I loved, And I loved his relationship to all of them just there because... The fact that he leaves at the end of the movie, that he yeah. never has a romantic moment re- with Rebecca Romaine Stamos, that he, he... They're just these reject characters who are there that kind of go through this with him, and he finishes his mission, and he leaves. And that's it. There's, no, there's like... You know what I mean? They're yeah, not, I mean, it's, people talk about how he's the greatest anti-hero, or, or how the Punisher is an anti-hero, but he's... In this movie, he's just a hero. Like, I, I understand that he's dark and he kills people, but he's only killing bad people, and... Moments like this, his relationship with these people is that glimmer of like uh, what they always talk about in Deadpool. There are three or four moments, only three or four moments, yeah. where you decide if you're a hero. <laughs> and it's like this is those moments with him and, and um, Rebecca Romaine and John and and Ben. I think John, I can't remember his name. He's a comedian. Yeah, um, those are great moments. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I do love that. There's never a romantic moment. Yeah. Those are so it's all taken from a, a comic book series. We talked a, a, bit, a bit about this with Blade. So Marvel went bankrupt in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, and relaunched with new titles in the late '90s, like '98. So there was a line called Marvel Knights that got launched, and it was 
the darker characters that were a little bit more in the vein of like real people mm-hmm. and uh, they all were supposed to have a little bit just darker less like cartoony of a feel so there was a relaunch of the Punisher right around the same time and the writer and artist of the famous series Preacher Garth Ennis and Steve mm-hmm. Dillon mm-hmm. were tasked to come on and do a story called Welcome Back Frank that's where these characters are all from they're all created in 2000 oh, for this okay. run. And it's the same thing. The Russian, all that stuff, that's all from that story. Now, the dialogue and the scenes with the ex-boyfriend, that's not all from that, at least as far as I remember. It's been a while since I've read it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all. That's And those characters are all Garth Ennis characters. So, like, if you guys watched mm. Preacher, if you like the comic book Preacher, like, that's because he's a great fucking writer. Yeah. It's like the best Punisher comics ever written are, like, ones written by great people. So, uh... All those guys, Bumpo and Spacker Dave, they're all created like a couple years before this comes out. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, those are amazing characters. And we got a couple fist pumps in here from the audience. We got uh, the fight he has with the big fuck-off blonde guy with his stupid red and white t-shirt, which is (laughs) Kevin Nash, the wrestler. Amazing fight. Yeah. So cool. And like... Oh, the boiling water. Just the pain of that in his face. Uh, Blood was supposed to spurt out of his eyes originally. Oh, really? They just tried to... They had to tone it down. Because, again, it's from the comics. This blood spurts out of his fucking eyes. I mean, if you get boiling... I mean, I don't know what happens. So that was Rangers fan. Uh, Joel Hammond says, When he pulls out the knife against the Johnny Cash character and the blade flies out, (laughs) you must be one dumb son of a bitch. Yeah. Bring a knife to a gunfight. Harry Hecker. So good. Uh, Let's see. Is that all there? Okay. Um... So my fist pump moment <clears throat> is also it's it's also my favorite line, but I can change my favorite line because I have a bunch of, of lines that I love just because they're stupid. Um, but it's when he's he's got Howard saying on the ground. Well, first yeah. of all, I just love his shot. He yeah. does like a little hip shot, like he doesn't right. even try, and he hits him in the stomach. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and he like spins around and falls down. Travolta is the ultimate bitch in this movie. You've it's, seen this movie like thirty times. Oh, I've seen you? this movie at least thirty times. <laughs> I've, I know I know this movie very very well. I'm trying to like reel it in a little bit. <laughs> uh, but it's when he it's when he's dragging him. And he's like, I "Made you kill your best friend. I made you kill your wife. Now I'm going to kill you." And, and and my fist pump is Travolta's like <laughs> he like does like this whine like this whimp. And it, the reason that I love it is because I mean it, you kind of laugh at it. But imagine that moment. Yeah. Like, if I just killed you... Yeah. And then my wife... Yeah. Like, my best friend and my wife, because they're having an affair and they're they're betraying me, and I find out it's because the person that I hate most in the world has yeah. tricked me. Like, that moment, like, that rage... And you're shot and bleeding out. And you're shot and bleeding <laughs> out, getting drugged by a car. Yeah. So, that moment is just... I love revenge films. Yeah. And Travolta is just evil enough and... Just enough of a bitch yeah. to where you just love to watch him. Die. He is the shit weasel of the movie. He is, and he's so good at it. Yeah, he's great. Um, I, I was watching. The, I have more guns than you. I, yeah, <laughs> I was watching the um, junket interviews from when this movie came out uh, from 2004, like all of the little one on ones. Mm-hmm. And Travolta's got this one interview he did with like Screen Rant, I think. You would have died laughing because he's like. Like, I've heard a lot of stories about Travolta. A lot of stories about Travolta. I feel like he's, like, a unicorn to me. I know so little about him. Uh Because I I don't like to watch... Yeah, so he's, like, just apparently, like, just such a pompous fuck is, like, what I hear. I've Mm -hmm. I've never met the guy, so all of this is secondhand. Yeah. um, And if you want to come on the show, John... Yeah. (laughs) uh, Please. But he... uh, (laughs) The interview, he's, like... Somebody asked him about Pulp Fiction and what it meant for him to be in that movie. And he's, like... He's, like... Well, when you're a great actor, uh, the director's job is to let you just do your job. And, uh, you know, when you hire someone like me, uh, that's the job. It's just, you know, and then he's like, you see, when Saturday Night Fever came out, 
I changed the world. Oh, and he's like, God. when Pulp Fiction came out, the movie changed the world. And he's like, at that point in my career, it was better for me to be in a film that changed the world rather than just my own role, you see. And I was just watching, I was like, wow. Wow. This is all real. <laughs> this is a, You're a real human being right now. Jeez, <laughs> that's pretty much... I mean, I, go look it up, guys. Okay? <sighs> go look that one up. Like, I gotta look that up. Yeah. So, um, anyhow... Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, Andrew. If this is your movie, let that exciting shine. I'm digging how much you love this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Stardew says the fist pump is the claymore mine, and it's out of reach of John's second son. Speed. Oh, he's talking yeah. about when he's right. You ever uh, try isometri- isometrics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like get 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 good in shape. All right. So getting on to where these guys are at in their career, which I think is super interesting. Because totally. They're both in very odd places in their career. So Thomas Jane is on his way up. Um, I think he's trying to establish his, himself as a leading man, but he's not quite done it. So in Stander and Dreamcatcher, he's the lead. Do you remember Stander? Uh, is I, I looked both of them up. Is that the one about the wife? Or? So Stander I saw in theaters. Stander is the movie that, that all the posters for it were like, who is Stander? Uh-huh. And it was like this really, really badly done version of... The like the bank robber character who's like becomes like a celebrity and he's kind of like a Robin Hood sort of character oh, a little okay. bit. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what was on the box cover? It was like I think I think it was like a sight, like a gun sight, and, and it his said half like face, and it said like stander, and you could see his face in the gunshot or yeah, something. Like that. Yeah, yeah, sun, yeah. I think he had sunglasses on. I, yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, I saw it in theaters. I don't remember why. <laughs> I don't even think I really knew who Thomas Jane was particularly. Yeah, but like O three Dreamcatcher, I remember the movie that I didn't see it. And I did see the sweetest thing, I think. I, I've seen the sweetest thing, of um, course. Of course, you have. Good <laughs> sisters growing. <Damn. laughs> I've seen it's phenomenal. I've film. seen the sweetest I've thing seen sub- the sweetest several thing. times. Uh, <laughs> I really have. Um, so he's Deep Blue Sea must have been what like O one? Yeah, two thousand just, just before that. Yeah, and then he was also in Magnolia. He's also in uh, Boogie Nights. Yep. Yep. Uh, he had another one. He's as in well. Face Off. He's yeah, got his, he's got the role in Face Off in like ninety seven. Mm-hmm. He's basically he has a, basically a run there of about seven years where he's like and this is the moment right here where he's supposed to be this is the Henry this Cavill is, does Immortals and he wants to do you know, he wants to do uh, what's it called? Superman. Superman. Yeah. Right. This is like the thing where it's like Thomas Jane, like they talk about Hensley and Avi Arad were like we had tried to cast Thomas Jane in multiple Marvel projects for several years before this movie. He turned down the role of Punisher twice. Hmm. Um, he didn't want to do it because he didn't see himself as a superhero kind of actor. And then finally, they sent him the cover sketches that the artist Tim Bradstreet does, which all are from that same Garth Ennis series. They're right. super dark, really, really cool. And Maris, like, would you actually mind, while we're doing this, looking up Tim Bradstreet Punisher and just throwing a couple up, up on screen? They're really cool and really dark, and I think you'll understand why he probably responded the way that he did. Um, but he... So he decides to do this movie because it's so stripped down and he likes that it's not a superhero movie and the guy has no superpowers and, like, it just never happened for him. It didn't. And Weird. And we're about to have the over-under properly rated discussion with John Travolta, which I think is a very good discussion. You made a good point that Thomas Jane never really broke through to that leading man position to have the argument because I honestly feel that Thomas Jane is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Yeah. And I know that's because I have a bias because of Boogie Nights. But if you (laughs) haven't seen Boogie Nights, Thomas Jane gives one of the best performances I've ever seen 
it's the best performance I've ever seen him do. And I always say that I think if you have a, an actor, a good actor, with a great director, right. like Paul Thomas Anderson or Darren Aronofsky, and you take people like Marlon Wayans yeah. in Requiem for a Dream, or you take Thomas Jane in Boogie Nights, these guys are incredible actors. They can do. You look at John C. Riley in every movie he does with P.T. Anderson, yeah. that guy could win in a supporting Academy Award every single time he's in one yeah, of his films. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, he's so good. So I just think Thomas Jane is so underutilized, and it's such a bummer that this movie just flopped because this was it. This is the turning point in his career. Yeah. He, I mean, he's not. it's not like he's co- totally like off the rails now. No, but, but he, I mean, this was like in the... 33 like, years old, like... Doing it, here's your movie. Super jacked, yeah. So this is like the Brad Street stuff. You can see it's like very, it's not like superhero-y and like wearing tights and the white boots. It's like basically like retired Vietnam yeah, vet. Yeah, gritty. Who's like grizzled and just like in the dark all the time. Uh, those are all the covers to the books, I remember. So this is like what they showed him. They were like, check this out. This is this is who you This are. is what we want. And I, I, of course he wanted to do that. It looks badass. That's the cover of the first one, I remember. It's fucking sweet. Um, all right, so moving on to John Travolta. Thank you, Marissa. I appreciate that. That's Marissa Serafini up in the booth. She's Deep uh, blue doing sea. engineering, producing. How are oh, you, Marissa? What's up, Marissa? I'm great, guys. I'm enjoying this discussion because I also like this film. This yeah. movie's amazing. You guys should thank Marissa Serafini every week for getting us started on time because Ben and I are not good at that, and no. she is very good at and that. And ever since she took over, she's really been good about yeah, it. Yeah, it's because she doesn't take our bullshit. She yeah. just makes us sit down and get ready. <laughs> I like it. I like Love it. you, Marissa. Uh so moving on to John Travolta, this is another interesting part in his career because I don't even know how to explain this part in his career. He's like become the best. Okay, good. I, yeah. I figured you had like some theory or something. So John Travolta, he he references it in that sweet sweet interview I was just talking about. But <laughs> greatest actor, John Travolta came around a long fucking time ago. That guy's sixty two years old. Yeah, he came around in the mid seventies, like early seventies. So the Saturday Night Fever is nineteen seventy six, and he is not really joking when he says that he ch- his performance changed the world. It did in a lot of it ways. It really did. Grease is two years later. That's nineteen seventy eight. That guy. Like, talk about a guy in the late 70s who was the, and I, I hate to say this phrase, but, like, the actual sexiest man alive. Not, like, People magazine cover. Like No, like, everyone wanted to, to fuck John Travolta. He could dance. He was super handsome. He, he had like, that, like, butthole chin that was super yeah, hot for it, some reason. <laughs> he, like, it was ridiculous. So that's the, that's the 70s. But the, the star got to him too much because yeah. the 80s is a wasteland. It's a total wasteland. Like, you go watch, like, Urban Cowboy, which I think is 1980 and Blowout in 81. The next 10 years of his career are, are bad. He's just he's barely in anything. He's, his career was basically over. So Pulp Fiction resurrected John Travolta's career in 1994. Like, that's not, like, an exaggeration. That's a real thing. It's a real <clears> thing. <throat> he, he, like, Travolta had grown up watching him, and he loved... or Sorry, uh, Quentin Tarantino had. He loved Travolta, so he put him in that movie in 94, and that's when you see the next little stretch, which is uh, Get Shorty, yep. and Face Off, and Broken Arrow, and he got a ton of roles. Michael, Phenomenon, like, all these movies. He had literally resurfaced, and it's like, you, for me, growing up in that time, I didn't even know <clears throat> John Travolta's Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, right. I didn't know that person. John Travolta, for me, was a badass action star when I was growing up. He was a villain. He was broken air. He was face off. Really quick, my phone's gonna die. So, guys in the live chat, goodbye. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> um, so, so he's doing all that stuff, and then in the late nineties. Uh, you still have movies like A Civil Action and movies like General's Daughter. I was sick of this. I, that movie box cover will always stick yeah, in my mind. Yeah, me too. I don't me know too. why. And, uh, and so this movie in 2004, he had done Swordfish, I think, in 02. Yes, I love that movie. And this is kind of the tail end of that decade of Resurrection where it's like 
he's a big name that people take seriously. Now he never fell off in the same way that he did in the eighties. Like that right. he between oh four and two thousand seventeen, he did a bunch of stuff. Like Hairspray was super successful. Yeah, and you gotta remember that like he had all that crazy stuff going on in his family life. He took two years off of film between two thousand ten and twelve yep. and like he just needed a break and that he's, happens when you work for forty years. Right. And he's clearly taking, you know, risks with what he's doing, like uh Oh, that's oh, nice. That's our chat. Hey, guys, we can see the, the chest best. up on the screen. So if you guys keep talking to us, <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have to say bye, guy, Jonas. We're still here. <laughs> um, so, so like, but he was he was still doing stuff. You know, uh, taking Pelham One Two Three from Paris with Love, like those movies. He was just kind of taking chances. It's so crazy how he get he went from literally the literal sexiest man alive to a villain. Yeah, because that's pretty much all he plays forward. I mean, you got Broken Arrow, Face Off. You got. From Paris with Love, uh, taking a Pelham one two three. Yeah, this movie. Anyway, so it's it's just weird. So that being said, let's go and have this conversation with over, under, and properly rated for John Travolta. Do you want to go first? I don't, because I feel like I need to think more. So my initial thought was that John Travolta is properly rated because anybody Same. who 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 blows a, de- a decade of their career career in their prime, it's like hard to call them underrated. Yeah. On the other hand, that same exact argument can be used for why he's underrated because he managed to be the sexiest man alive, be in these dancing movies, flop his career, come back in the 90s, become like this like sort of and then even now, like even now something I thought about was he plays Robert Shapiro in The People vs. O.J. Simpson and he's great. That was last yeah, year. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. He's fantastic in that movie. So or in that show and and like He's a really good actor, and the stuff he's saying that like a good director's job is to put you in position to just be yourself. It's like he's right. What Cage does, kind of essentially the same sort yeah. of thing. You know, fly off the handle, be unpredictable. Like it's true. And Travolta is a great actor, so I think for my money, I would say John Travolta is underrated. You I, know, and I I went <clears throat> I started off with overrated just because I don't. I was just like man, yeah. I like I don't like you, John Travolta. Uh, then I thought about it some more, and I was like, I really don't dislike John Travolta. I just feel like I had like a, something with him for a while, and I don't really even know why. Maybe he overshot. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I I agree. I think he's underrated, man. Like you go back and we talk about this entire career that he's had and the phases of it, and you know how hard it is to come back in this industry. We we've learned that time and time again doing this show. It's it's almost impossible. Um. And the reason I say underrated is because I want to see him do more. I want to see him do some cool shit as an old man. I I want to see a role. I didn't watch People vs. O.J. Simpson. I don't it's know really how good. I missed that. Um, but I want to see him do things like that. And that's how I know that he's underrated to me. Is because I want more right. from him. I want to see him do great again. Yeah. So, as crazy as it is, yeah, I think John Travolta is underrated right now. I mean, look, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Face Off, The Punisher, People vs. O.J. Simpson, Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking too. These are movies that are legitimate classics. Yeah. I mean, well, The Punisher is not a legitimate classic. <laughs> well, Anyone's mind other than I yours. Mean... <laughs> but I mean, that's you just we just that's like seven or eight different things that are like very legitimate. And I yeah. think it's generationally the guy. He spanned generations in a way that like a lot of people are not able to. And I think generationally he's underrated because right now the younger generation only knows him as this like sniveling kind of shit weasel lawyer in the people versus OJ. Right. You know, the last time he was relevant before that was a decade. So anybody who's young kinda has no idea. 
except for like Grease and Saturday Night Fever because those movies have lived on. Pulp yeah, Fiction. those movies transcend time. Yeah, so I think he's underrated. Yeah, I think I'll agree. And <clears throat> you guys feel free to throw up your uh, your ideas in the chat there and let us know what you think if he's over, under, or properly rated, and give us a reason why. <laughs> uh, Josh Hammett, I love Travolta back in Phenomenon, and Michael would really like to see that style of him again. <laughs> I love that period in his career. He was just getting he was just getting that money. I mean, yeah. a civil action <clears throat> basic like just go be yourself, yeah. and we'll just pay you millions. He has a role in the Thin Red Line, I'm pretty certain. Yeah. Small, smaller role. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so let's move on to Jonathan Hensley. We've talked about him a good amount today. This was his directorial debut. Um, and I'm, he wrote... Sorry, go ahead. I believe the only movie he ever directed. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember when I did the research on him if he was working on another one now, but yeah, it was basically... This is the only thing he's directed. Um, kind of an interesting career for this guy as a writer and all that. It was funny. Our, in the chat, they were talking about him saying that he'd written Fantastic Four and The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And uh, they, were, they were just like, I not really a good uh, good resume for this poor guy. Yeah, but it's that's Jonathan. That's Michael France. So, or, yeah. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Yeah, so the, but they wrote this movie together. But yeah, definitely uh, Hensley is the guy that gets his start writing originally uh, for the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and uh, after leaving a career in law. So he's currently married to Gail Ann Hurd, who's like the mm-hmm. legendary producer. But he wrote some massive, massive movies. That woman does everything. Yeah, in 1995, he wrote Die Hard 3, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the highest-grossing movie domestically. Uh, what uh, Second-highest-grossing movie in 95, and then in 1998, he wrote Armageddon, which was the highest-grossing right. movie. Yes. Uncredited rewrites on The Rock, Con Air, Gone in 60 Seconds. <coughs> so he's definitely a guy whose name is pretty synonymous with success, and his successes are still recently enough that he could... Easily, I think still still get the job writing something massive. Oh yeah, and he wrote uh, he wrote Jumanji too. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that that's was right. the other, yeah. Right. Okay, I keep I always get him mixed up. That, that's just the crazy thing about doing the show for as long as we do. So many of these writers just keep popping up, and these producers over decades. Yeah, definitely. So now now Hensley directed Punisher in '04. And uh, there was a sequel that was that was like in the works that he was going to do, but they they cut they continued cutting funding and they couldn't come up with a script that they wanted to, so he ended up pulling out of the project. And same with uh, Thomas Jane dropped out of the project, and the sequel ended up kind of dying. It got resurrected with Ray Stevenson. Who in the stars lead. in the sequel? Ray, St- Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson. Okay. Yeah, the guy from uh, he's from a tons of stuff, but he's from the other guys. He's the guy that plays. Uh, the fucking FBI guy? Right, right. I yeah. was like, there's a reason why we've yeah. talked about the lead of this. Yeah, three yeah. things I love in a woman. Yeah. <laughs> buttocks. <laughs> the, the dimples above a woman's buttocks. <laughs> and Kylie Minogue. <laughs> and uh, hurting people. <laughs> we gotta do a week where we just do MacGruber and the other, and guys. other guys. That's it. Yeah, the yeah. combo episode. Um, so... So yeah, that's the guy that ends up starring in Punisher Warzone, and that's like 2010, probably. Mm-hmm. That's like a Marvel. That is a Marvel Studios movie, but it's not in the Marvel universe because John Marenthal is the Punisher in the Marvel universe. Yes. So it's just one of those weird movies that was in development. Do you um, think that movie's going to happen eventually? The Marenthal Punisher movie, an actual movie, or um, you think it's just going to be a TV show series? I would guess he would get a TV series because the Marvel that whole like Marvel Knights little like ring of Jessica Jones, Daredevil, uh, Luke Cage, soon to be Iron Fist. Those are all characters that are connected. What did you think of that Iron Fist trailer? I actually haven't watched it yet. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, people said it was awesome. I feel like I'm getting... I know, they did. And it was yeah. pretty cool. I think that I'm getting a little oversaturated. Really? Yeah, it's a bummer because I love Daredevil and yeah. I love The Punisher. Right. But like Jessica Jones and I heard that uh, Luke Cage was just god-awful. Okay, yeah, I didn't watch it. Yeah, I watched the beginning of Jessica Jones. I watched all of Daredevil. Same. Ah, I just don't want it to go down. I love the. I love that shit so much. Um, yeah. 
That's so, right, I'm going to cut you off. Yeah, no, it's all right. So, so yeah, Hensley did the first one. He, ended up, he never ended up doing another one. And uh, there was actually a movie, a short, called The Punisher Dirty Laundry. It's a 10-minute short, which I was shocked that you hadn't seen. I figured you would have brought it up Why does now. this sound familiar? It's a 10-minute YouTube short that came out in 2012 starring Thomas Jane as the Punisher. Um, and it's super graphic, and it's like, like a little bit... You know, it's like not the best quality. Right. The music is just from the Dark Knight. It's just the it's just the same music. Yeah, actually, just put into this. Um, but it's available, uh, and we it was I, I found it, but it also in a tw- in a tweet was pointed out to us by John Sargent. So shout out to you, John Sargent, for letting us know about it. You'd like it. You should watch it. Yeah. But that's the sort of like unofficial continuation of the Thomas Jane as Punisher. He like beats up a gang and just like brutally murders this gang leader. Um, <laughs> and that's the end of it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's ten minutes. It's it's, it's pretty entertaining. Um, I'll watch it. Yeah, totally. So that's Hensley. Now on the other side, you have Michael France. Right. France wrote the spec script to Cliffhanger in '91, sold it. Um, that was super successful and put his name on the map. So then he got asked to resurrect James yes. Bond, and he With wrote Goldeneye. Goldeneye, the um, best worst movie of all time. Goldeneye feels like we should be we should have done it on here by we now. We should have, but I think the problem is when we go back and watch it, it's almost unbearable. No. And, and I love that movie. <laughs> we could definitely have a good I'm time invincible. with that movie. Yeah, we could. We should do it. Sean Bean? Ah. Uh, yeah. Sean Bean? It was not God that gave me this face. It was you. It was you, James. Setting the timers for three minutes instead of five. Uh, yeah, we should definitely do a GoldenEye. Anytime so, we can talk Sean Bean. So then after GoldenEye, he does some uncredited rewrites and the world is not enough. And then he does this run of Marvel movies. Ugh. The Angley Hulk in 03, this movie in 04, and Fantastic Four, the first one in 05. And, uh, yeah, after that, he, he doesn't write anything else. Yeah. Um, so he ended up having, like, a long run battling diabetes, lost some movement in the left side of his body as he got a little older, and then unfortunately passed away in at age 51 in 2012, 2013, I believe. And uh, he's just a really interesting guy reading about him. He Such a he, cool career, but, like, such a... Such a short career. Yeah, and almost, like, kind of a sad one, too. Really sad. Yeah, he, you know? he bought this theater in Tampa... Um, Tampa Bay where he lived and uh, he bought this theater that was like this old school movie theater that he wanted to resurrect to show classics and he kept it running for I think something like eight years it closed in 2012 but um, he just bought it cash with all the money that he was making from these theaters and it was like this local theater that he grew up around. I thought that was really cool. That is super cool. It just shows that he loves he loves the craft and it's it's crazy like a guy like that, you, I bet he had like a, a script, like his script, like his film that he wanted to create one day, this amazing thing, and and he gets stuck with things that make money, and yeah, passed away. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, but I mean, to to his credit, like, th- there's five movies that we've both seen. Oh, absolutely, and Goldeneye still to yeah. this day is the best Pierce Brosnan James Bond, which for a lot of people is the best James Bond. And it was like super, super impactful for us as kids. Like, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for a guy's legacy to be five movies that you and I have both seen is impre- it's impressive. Absolutely, even if they aren't movies that we think of as the best movies across the board. I mean, you've seen one of his movies over thirty times. <laughs> I definitely have, and I can't say that about a lot of people. So yeah, last last but not least, we Love mentioned Gail Ann Hurd already. She was married to James Cameron for a long time, worked on Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, Armageddon, 
She's produces The Walking Dead now. She's just a total. She's savage. just the most badass producing female in Hollywood, probably. Yes, she's awesome. Uh, and then mm-hmm. Avi Arad, we talked about a bit before. He was the CEO of Toy Biz, the company that made like Marvel toys in the nineties. Yes, and uh, he ended up as the founder of Marvel Studios. Um, helped to bring Marvel out of bankruptcy through licensing deals, and then officially left Marvel in two thousand six. Uh, he you know works on on other stuff now. He's he's very much associated with the negative part of the Marvel franchise movies, which is. So not fair for him, I I don't think, because he brought them back from bankruptcy, from the brink, and he's still an advisor on all the stuff that they do. Right. It just feels, I don't know. I mean, I get it. It, it happens a lot with in sports franchises as well. Right. We want to just put the past behind us. Yep. This is the name to go with it. Throw out the coach. Get in a new one. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, this this movie Punisher happens in a phase of Marvel where. Marvel was basically lending out the rights to its characters to have a stake in ownership of the movie mm-hmm. so that if it did make a lot of money, Marvel would make a lot of money back. As opposed to now, Marvel just has a studio. They make the movies. Yeah, they're, they're just, just the biggest studio yeah, now. They're the biggest. So, And Disney are geniuses because they bought Marvel and they also bought uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah. No, Disney's, Disney's <laughs> just the... Yeah. Disney's like, sure, uh, Marvel and Lucasfilm. Let's see, the most, let's see, the things that are going to make the most money over the next 30... Yeah, let's just grab both yeah, of those. $4 billion? Sure, no problem. Yeah. We'll make that back in about a year. Easy. Yeah. Uh, so, Lionsgate produced this film. It came out in April 16th of 2004. It cost only $33 million to make, but it only grossed $33 million domestically, adding another 20 worldwide for a total of about $54 million. Um, kind of a bummer. It opened number two at $13 million behind Kill Bill Volume 2 in its first week, doubling it at, yep. tw- at $25 million. Um, Not fair, because Quentin Tarantino could do no wrong. At that point. At that point. And he still, honestly, he still really can't. Like, I know we're, we're like, people are a little more skeptical of him, but still when a Tarantino movie comes out, people lose their shit. Yeah. Hateful I, Eight was the first one for me. Yeah. That it felt like people had kind of reeled it totally. in a little bit. So I think the next one is the one where we probably see a little bit of a pullback. Unless it's like Unless a it's super crazy. interesting movie. Yeah. I, I think he needs to go make another, like, straight, just normal crime movie. Yeah. That would be great. Definitely. He needs to quit doing all this genre he, stuff trying so hard yeah, yeah. I would love to just see like like a Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction style totally. crime movie that'd be great yeah I mean I can still watch those movies over and over again um, so this is an interesting conversation so critically this got a 6.5 on IMDB which is for me it feels about right it yeah. feels fair <laughs> feels just I can't see that feels right for you I feel like it has to feel low <laughs> uh, it feels a little low but Rotten Tomatoes just obliterate this movie. So all critics give it a 29%. Top critics give it a 24%. And the audience give it a 63 Um So this sparked a little idea for me that yeah. I feel like we should do. We have, we have a top five that we like to do on this show. And I think that we should do our top five guilty movie pleasures. Because The Punisher is on my list. I'm going to start my list with that at number five. Punisher... This movie, I love. You've said it numerous times. I've seen this movie over 30 times. Easily. I can quote yeah. this movie. It's very yep. good. And for me to see 29s and 24s next to this movie when last week we covered Unstoppable and it was in the 90s... Yeah. ...is ludicrous. Yeah. So, Punisher is one of my five. These are not in order. What do you got? Uh, okay, not in order. I'm going to go Pearl Harbor is my uh, first one. 2000s Michael Bay... Epic. I've mentioned before that I had the uh, the four DVD <laughs> deluxe set version for a long time. I love Alec Baldwin in it. Um, <laughs> Was it? Didn't Roka specifically yeah. say he couldn't stand Baldwin's Baldwin? terrible? I was like, I, I love, love Baldwin. Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> 
love that movie. I haven't seen it in about ten years, but I just remember I really <laughs> oh, liked it. It God. had some bad parts, but I thought it was much, much better than people gave it credit for. So uh, I I like Pearl Harbor. That's that's one for me. That's fair. That's fair. So there was a few comedies that you and I wanted to throw. You wanted to throw in the other guys. I wanted to throw in MacGruber. Yeah. There's there's like Shaun of the Dead. I love Hot Fuzz. Hot like, Rod. Yeah, those are all great. Hot, yeah. Rod, Hot Rod could probably be thrown in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do have one. It's Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. It was one of my absolute favorite movies still. Yeah. And I feel like it doesn't really fall in the same categories as the other ones. It's just a weird fucking kind of stoner weird movie. Yeah. But it's hilarious. Yeah, for sure. It's, that's good. Have you seen that? <laughs> Pick a Destiny? Yeah. I think it's not in theaters, honestly. I was never a big Tenacious D guy, though. I did see them live once. Oh, that would be awesome. I saw them live. I love those they guys. Played with, uh, they played with Weezer, I think. Really? In like 2004, 5, 6, something like that. They came to Seattle, and I went to the show. That must be like the coolest. That was like the coolest thing to do in 2004 was a Weezer concert with Tenacious D. I, I like have so little memory of it, honestly. I don't even... God, you're so cool. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I remember seeing that. Uh, all right, my number two is going to be uh, Deja Vu. Uh, the oh, uh, Tony Scott Denzel. I just love. It's just matter to you. Yeah, yeah, I just love the Tony Scott Denzel movies. We've talked about it way too much on here for me to elaborate yeah. too much. But just like the stuff that makes those movies so great, like that his as they say on the uh, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Period podcast. Like the things, like the shot of him first walking in, and like his walk, the Denzel yeah. walk. He just walks cool. Like he's the coolest. He's just the fucking coolest. And uh, I just like though it's not really a great movie, Deja Vu. It's like pretty confused. No, that's and- why it's a guilty movie pleasure. I mean, I think that's that's completely fair. Uh, yeah, I, I know. That. Man on Fire is almost on there, but it's not even a guilty movie. It's just no. a fucking sweet movie. There's the three of them, I would say, Unstoppable, Man on Fire, and, and Crimson Tide, you can't really say are guilty, because they're all, like, pretty decent. Yeah, I guess Unstoppable, you can't. They're all pretty decent. It's the other two that would qualify. All right, so I got Punisher, I got Tenacious D. Um, <clears throat> I might as well throw in Con Air, because our, our boy just threw it up there. I, I just missed who it was. Uh, I think it was Joel. That looks like Rangers fan, maybe. Oh, there's a couple, though. Yeah, yeah, so they mentioned Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. Uh, the Rock is not a guilty movie pleasure. Not Get your head out of your ass. Close. This is one of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> Fair. You know what? The Fair. Rock. If you were to get rid of the, if you were to get rid of the, uh, no, the chase scene, the San Francisco streets chase oh, scene. You think it'd be, uh, you'd be totally legit. I think that movie would be a, an, an actual legitimate action classic I'm for just people. Borrowing your Humvee. If yeah. not, like I think it is an action classic, but I think it would be a whole a different level of action classic. If just that one scene were removed, it's the slowest, it's the slowest, longest scene of the movie. It's the most Michael Bayest scene of the movie. Yeah, it's just like not necessary. No, Everything completely. else about that movie is sweet, though. Yeah, and then they got the racism with the trolley car guy. Yeah, you're right. It's a total Michael Bay self indulgent jerk me off scene. Yeah, it's just not even even like even like him escaping. Like the haircut, all that stuff. That's like a little bit, like really, really, really. Yeah. That stuff. I I would be okay with that if the scene ended and he they didn't go on this car chase. Yeah. But you would miss the three sixty shot of Nick Cage uh, standing there. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. When he got next. Uh, All right. I'm just going to continue my thought with the taking of Pelham one two three because uh, they're. I love them both so much. I, I truthfully like the Taking of Pelham One Two Three the most of all of these movies. Is Taking of Pelham One Two Three your favorite Tony Scott Denzel collab? It's so hard to say, man. I I really have a hard time with that question because the more I think about those those movies, it's like I almost just flipped the desk. Yeah, over. I'm so mad. Like I love Man on Fire to death, and I love Crimson Tide in a whole different way because yeah. Crimson Tide's like unique, and I think Unstoppable's so entertaining. 
And Deja Vu is the one that recently, for whatever reason, I've just been thinking about the most. I remember I watched that in theaters, and I, I didn't watch it for a couple years, but I always was like, that was actually a pretty good movie. Deja Vu? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But taking a Pelham for whatever reason, there's just something about like those two characters and Garber. And I just scenes and, and those couple yeah. scenes, I just love. I love that movie. I think that's your favorite. I think it is. I think my, <laughs> Man on Fire is mine. I think Taking is yours. Uh, so so you did the Taking. So next for me, <laughs> snakes don't eat people. Oh, I forgot about this Anaconda, one. Anaconda, man. We used to reference Anaconda so often on this show. We used to just only talk to each other in John Voight's voice. Did, was it even on this show? Did it even translate to this show? It, or like very, very little in the beginning? I remember. I like that used to be like the thing. We would, yeah, yeah. So to eat people. What was the other one? Uh, Anaconda's on a killing machine. Oh, Anaconda's on a killing machine. <laughs> like, where are you from, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's Anaconda's on a perfect killing machine. That's the line. <laughs> perfect killing machine. Alright. Uh, uh, yeah, I understand not liking Cage, but loving his movies. That's yeah, fair. It's totally fair. Yeah. So, yeah, Taking a Pelham, Deja Vu, uh, Pearl Harbor. What do you got? You got I did one? Con Air, Anaconda. I got, I got my last one. Okay, I got two left. I'm going to go Batman and Robin. Um, I love yeah. <laughs> Like, what business do you have as a, as a scientist standing you are up here? Gigantic. You're a huge bodybuilder wearing a lab coat. That's not real. That's not, not how costuming just, like, works. pushing buttons. Like, <laughs> 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 His, that movie's great. Everything about that. The nipples on the bat suit. Uh, Dr. Victor Freeze. The whole thing. Let uh, me just, let, let's cue up this video. Let's cue up this video of his origin story that I have conveniently right, loaded up on course. my sweet, sweet database. Cut together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number one is The Notebook. That's not even guilty. It's kind of guilty. The movie's great. It's amazing. Yeah. But I feel guilt. Like, every time... I say that I love the notebook as much as I do. Yeah. I feel a little guilty. My roommate going through like uh, women trouble recently watched it like several times in the in a week, like three times. It was on like over and over again when I would come home. I should come over. You should just sitting there crying. Of course, <laughs> that's what you do. The same guy that owns the Braveheart sword, by the way. <laughs> he he switches between the two films based he's, on his mood. <laughs> he's a dangerous person. <laughs> um. So uh, and then the last one I put on my list is Mortal Kombat. Uh, because yeah, and yeah, we did it on the show. Uh, kind of a, a like bumbling episode. Yeah, it was a bust of an episode. There were some technical difficulties in it. We, I, I almost just want to do it again. I know it's just because there's just that like couple. There's a couple moments in the beginning that if you're watching, you're just like, I can't. What's going on here? Yeah, we could just do it again. That movie's totally entertaining and like just so really good. fun to talk about. Uh, I oh, want to. Yeah. yeah, Cage Blue is Ghost Rider. You're dead right. Um, so, yeah, that's my five. Taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, Deja Vu, Pearl Harbor, Batman and Robin, and uh, Mortal Kombat. I did have Transformers, the first one written down oh, also. That's a good one. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had Punisher Notebook, Anaconda, Tenacious D, and Con Air. Guys, let us know. You can you can hashtag Top 5 Guilty yeah. at AMA Podcast. Let us know your list because it is a very interesting, fun conversation. So moving on to the next part of the show, we have Favorite Line. This is pretty simple. Yep. Let us know your favorite line. It has begun. It has begun. Damn right, Rangers fan. Uh, <laughs> let us know your favorite line in the movie. My favorite line is when he's like, he's like, <laughs> Via con Dios, Castle, go with God. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because he says he says the line he says the line and then he's like for any of you dumb enough to not know what that means (laughs) go with God and then Castle's like God's gonna sit this one out they try to make the whole exchange like so serious but it's like such a joke Bye, Condios Castle go with God (laughs) go with God 
<laughs> face. Where are the Reds from? Cincinnati, which is in Ohio. <laughs> Uh, I you know what so my favorite line is like what I said it's you know I it made you kill your best friend made you kill but there's like a few lines in there that I just love like the Cuban brothers he's like I've seen it rain like cats and dogs but I've never seen it rain hundred dollar bills Howard <laughs> you're like that's your cube you sound ridiculous so there's that line and then there's uh when Will Patton I don't know why but it's when Travolta slashes him he's like what. Yeah. Are you doing, Howard? I don't know. I just those are my two favorite lines, other than the main one, which is Patton's one of the great unsung heroes of the '90s and 2000s. Pat, yeah, he's like one of the great unsung like character actors from that era. Where like you basically watch him and you're just like, maybe maybe your range is not as great as like a Robert Duvall or something because we've mm-hmm. seen like you know guys like Duvall who have those similar kind of roles be just like awesome, like incredible act, you know, Oscar winning, but like. Patma's in so many sweet movies, and he's like so good in all of them. Yeah, that, so many in back to back to back movies right around then. Remember the Titans, Gone in sixty seconds, Armageddon, and there's this not, movie, and you're never bothered by him. No, you always, I, I always enjoy Will Patton. Yeah, hundred percent of the time, love me some Will Patton. And like, yeah, I mean that it makes sense. He he had a great run for like the type of actor he he is. Yeah, and I hope he still does it. I hope he still just pops up in movies because he he's pro- yeah, always enjoyable. I'll bet you he pops up in in various TV shows and yeah. movies. You know, uh, I would be. Yeah, favorite line. Uh, need some help with the underwear? Fuck off! Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's awesome. Tango and Cash. Yes, Tango and Cash. <laughs> oh, yeah, that movie gets brought up all the time. Thank you, James. Um, all right, moving uh, on to the next part of the show, we have AMA question of the day. Yeah, we uh, had a lot of good ones. Yeah, there was like there was a solid like fifteen or twenty really interesting ones this week. So, um, the Jay Climber Hammett question: Is this the last time John Travolta was taken seriously as an actor? Question: We kind of already touched on that one. Uh, I think that uh, the honest qu- answer to that question is no, because yeah, because of OJ, because that's like a major role that I think he got Golden Globe nominations for. Yeah, um, I. Um I think to the untrained eye, yes. I think that to the most people that don't, like, follow Travolta's career or don't, like, actively watch new movies and um, TV, then I'd say yes. But, yeah, it definitely, we've proven factually that it's not true. Hairspray was a huge success. He plays a woman in that movie. Like, no matter how much of a joke he is, that movie was massively successful. Yeah, TV show now. Yep. So then, uh, moving on to the second one, we have Ebhin, E-Dog, E-Underscore-Dog, Underscore-95. Was this character brought to the screen too early for the audience to react on a more positive note like Deadpool? And the answer is yes. That's that's basically the, the thesis that you were sharing is that you feel like if this was made in 2010 it would have been a different movie. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot more successful and and I know there was another uh uh another post out there about superhero movies and and however many of them we think should be relaunched as R-rated franchises. Yeah, it's right here, John Sargent. Oh, that's the next one. Sargent oh. John 13 on Twitter. What oh. other comic book character needs an R-rated film? Nice segue. Um I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's an interesting question. That one <coughs> probably what other character? I mean, is Logan going to be R? I think so. Supposed to be. I think it's R. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because the trailers are pretty. That looks amazing. I want to do it on here. I want to do. We can. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a superhero. One hundred percent a superhero he's movie. It's Wolverine. We. <laughs> yeah, he's getting old. He's getting scars now. Um, so there's Logan. There's Deadpool. 
and then there's Punisher, I think, are the, the three that pop out immediately. Yeah, I mean, there's other characters, like, there's some DC characters. For instance, Lobo is a character that comes up a lot, and there's been Lobo movies in discussion for a long time. He would probably need an R rating. Um, it's a TV show now. If you were ever going to make the Preacher movie, mm, that would yeah. have definitely had an R rating. But um, what about, like... What about, like, I like superhero movies. Yeah. I like the Hulk and Superman, and, you know, like that type of audience. Right. Which one of those standalones could be, like, maybe if they made a standalone Magneto movie, it could be R. But even then, it did. the problem with Marvel movies being R is that all of them other than Deadpool yeah. and now Logan, because he's older, yeah. it feels wrong to make them anything other than PG-13 because it alienates your audience. Definitely. And it, and it separates the worlds. Um, Cable is one that if, oh, if yeah. they... Yeah, yeah, Logan is R. Uh, Cable is one that because of just the nature of his character in the books, like, you could get away with an R-rated Cable movie. Um, that wouldn't surprise me too much, though I don't think they're going to make a Cable movie. And if they did, I can't imagine they would make it R. But I don't think there's any DC characters that are, like, just distinctly would need... Uh, I feel like Blade, maybe. Like, if they were to redo a Blade movie, they could do that R. They'd have to. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the problem, like I just said, even the DC movies, even something as dark as as The Dark Knight, like, those movies could not have been rated R. No, I know. You alienate the audience too much. So, yeah, there's not too many um, There's not too many that jump out at me as, like, would need to be R. Because, yeah, a lot of the really popular franchises, like, you know, The Walking Dead has turned into basically an R-rated TV series in yeah. a lot of ways. So, yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of too many. Uh, there's probably one or two really important ones that I am forgetting, but... Yeah, you would know better than I would, I think. But um, uh, in any case, moving on to the last section of the show. Thank you guys for throwing in the questions, John Sargent, Evan, and Jay Clymer Hammett. Uh, and to everyone else who we didn't get to, we'd love to just sit here and answer 20 questions, but unfortunately we cannot. Yeah, yeah, we try to pick different people, so thanks for submitting on that, guys. There are three action movie categories to choose from. Uh, totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Um, they are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, totally legitimate are movies like The Fugitive, A Lone Survivor. Totally ridiculous are movies like Con Air and uh what was the what was the last one we just did that was totally ridiculous armageddon armageddon yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just absurd roca was trying real hard yeah. on that one I, th- I think we might have actually agreed that was the middle category i can't remember we may have gotten there and then the middle category which is ridiculously legitimate and that's movies like the rock point break fate uh speed punisher for yeah. me i want to go ahead and say that right now just answer the question huh I, I i think so i think this movie is ridiculously legitimate for me i, I know that i have a slight bias yeah but um I don't find myself laughing unintentionally that much. I think the action's really good in it. The fight scenes are sweet. Kevin Nash and the the hitman, Harry... What's his name? Harry? Harry Heck. Harry Heck. Um, Another character, I believe, from the same comic books. Yeah, I... Yeah, it, it's not too ridiculous. It's definitely not too legitimate. I think it falls right in the middle. It's just dark enough, just real enough. I'll give it to you, yeah. It's yeah. it's gory enough. Uh, there's some, some absurd moments, but yeah, it, it holds... Uh, totally ridiculous and stupid. Thank you, Jonas Tiger. I appreciate that. Um, I think it holds together well enough that I can put it in the middle category. It's it's on the edge for me, but uh, this would be a hard one for me to. If I called this movie totally ridiculous, I would. It would like it's hard to find a fist bump moment like the fist bump moment I found in a movie that's totally ridiculous. Yeah, definitely. So it's like such a real moment. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like those moments. Um, so yeah, last thing on the show we're going to talk about is something called the pitch. <laughs> I'm glad we never uh, have gotten the sound effect of the tiger. No, I like doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm very good at it. 
this is an exciting one. Yeah, this is great, guys. Straight up, go see it this weekend. Fucking John Wick Chapter 2 in theaters now. We can't wait. Somebody give that man a gun. Somebody give that man a gun. <laughs> Keanu, he's back. John Wick. This is exciting. So go see it. Uh, we're going to be covering John Wick 2 next week. I don't know if we're going to have a guest or what. We'll kind of find out. But uh, follow just- us on Twitter. It doesn't matter. We could do the solo show. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. Follow us on Twitter, uh, at AMA Podcast. Share your thoughts. Share your hashtag AMA question of the day for John Wick 2. Go see it, the same as us this weekend. We can't wait, and uh, we'll be covering it next week. So if you guys want to follow along and tweet at us, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. And you guys can find me at Andrew Guy. So uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 